Need a change of pace? Well, you're at it. WebmasterRadio.fm, your home for B2B. Cover story. Cover a story or attain that coveted story. Get it? That is exactly what you want. Quoted as the expert, the story, headline, the spin. Every week, join us to talk about all things important to relating to the public. Your public. Craft your image. Promote your products. Create expert status. Become the buzz. Join us with the pros. PR 101. Crisis management. Media blitzing. It's all here on Cover Story. We're reserving a headline for you. Hey, everyone. Welcome to this beautiful, sunny Wednesday afternoon for Cover Story. I'm joined with myself and Mick Jolly, director over at PR Web. How are you, Mick? Very good, Brandy. Very good. It's a, it's a beautiful sunny day, which uh, I always report on the weather out here, don't I? Because it's, uh, it's nice when we have a good, good sunny day, but it's even nice when we have a good guest lined up for a show. And uh, you know, I think there's some, some opportunities ahead for us to learn once again. Yeah. Yeah. Trust that uh, you know we'll certainly be able to make good use of the of the time that we have today. Ah, definitely. Uh, but I have to rub David because I don't think he's making the best use of his time today. Oh yeah, he he ended up uh, ha- having a couple of initiatives that just did, took took advantage of. Wow, I didn't have enough wow. to chat with him. Yeah, I know. I'm blah, blah. David with <laughs> I won't put up with this anymore. <laughs> I'm sure he'll be playing us soon. <laughs> you know, he, he he fully supports the show, obviously, and and uh, that's that's why I'm in. Not. At, not that I can, uh, you know, fill. Not the that shoes we really need. No, nah, you know what? Not that we really need him or anything. Yeah, but he's a good. He's a good part of the team when he's available. Yeah, yeah, he is. He's kind <laughs> of like, you know, he's like the sandwich. You know, we're the bread. There you go. He's there you like go. the corned beef. There you go. And he, he does uh, <laughs> contribute a, a, a lot of knowledge and uh, and wisdom to the show, which is what this is. Uh, you really think so? I mean, he's not here right now. Do you really think so? I, th- I think he does. I think he does uh, <laughs> a, lot of, uh, a lot of knowledge. Yeah, I, every, every day I work with the man, I learn something new. It's like, hey, Liz, that, that, that astounds me. Where did you come up with that? Where'd you, you know, but, you know, the, the fact of the matter is uh, one of the things that impressed me about David, and I've said it before, is, you know, he has his, his uh, degree in a liberal arts um, arena. But yet and he's he, not he's liberal. Such, he, he's such a, well, he's such an expert, though, when it comes to... Uh, the technical uh, right. issues surrounding the internet, as well as uh, having a lot of business um, knowledge, and you know, so I talked to him quite a while back about, hey, you know, how do you, how do you learn all this stuff? And he says, oh, I went to the University of Barnes and Noble. Yeah, and he, you know, there's something he wants to learn. He, he goes and grabs <laughs> a book, or, or he's not afraid to reach out and talk to somebody that knows more about something than he does. There's a lot of people out there that are afraid to to learn from someone else because it, it, it exposes the fact that they're weak in an area or they don't know something. And, and David's not that kind of person, and that's... Uh, that's a good That's a good um, example of why he's so successful, and that is true. I mean, you know, I, I love to rib David, but I, I have the highest respect for him. Absolutely. Because he has <laughs> been able to go out and really do something in, um, in an arena that is a heritage arena, you know, sort of look like there wasn't space for someone else, and you guys are really out there... Um, doing an amazing, amazing, cost-effective service. Well, thank you, and hopefully we can continue to uh, be of service for many years to come. Obviously, we're looking at uh, better ways to uh, sharpen our program here and, and make it more effective. And uh, Well, always, because that's what you guys are about, always uh, staying ahead of the curve. There you go. But anyway, talking about staying ahead of the curve, our topic today um, is actually pretty broad. Um, we have with us um, Tim Cheneau, who has an amazing background in public relations. Um, and I'd say his two largest strengths 
is in promoting people and properties, which is such an important uh, factor as far as public relations go. And he's got an amazing background. He worked for Viacom. Um, he headed up PR efforts at the Paramount Parks. Um, he promoted, uh, he launched the Stealth uh, roller coaster, which is the first flying roller coaster ever, made history with that. Um, he also headed up director of PR over at um, the Hilton Las Vegas. And um, in conjunction with Paramount, they did, uh, they opened up the Star Trek experience. And never in history for a, a movie, a Paramount movie opening, or for a, uh, you know, an experience like that in, um, in Las Vegas, did they get more um, attention or more impressions. They got 570 million impressions, which is pretty amazing. And he's also worked as a publicist for Siegfried and Roy, whom we all know, um, I, I actually apologize, I don't know if they're back in action right now, but I mean, they, they sort of set the bar for people having homes and staying in Las Vegas as, a, as an ongoing show. And he did the Turning Point interview with Diane Sawyer. I mean, so there's all sorts of great stuff that we can get into with Tim. So I think we should wait no longer and let Tim come in and speak for himself. Welcome, well, Tim. hello to both of you. Hey. Hey, howdy, Tim. How are you? I'm great, thanks. It's great to be on the show today. Well, it's a pleasure to have you here, and uh, yeah, I, I agree. You have an outstanding background. Some of the information I was able to to review, and uh, we'd probably uh, throw in the you know your Titanic the movie tour and a whole bunch of other things as well. But you've you've been able to uh, have have a great deal of success in, in gaining a lot of online publicity. I'm certain, but also uh, with some of the major media networks like the New York Times and CNN and USA Today and and some of these other. Uh, um, opportunities that you, that are presented, and so yeah, I, I think I'm all ears, and I think our listeners are as well uh, to jump right in and learn what you have to tell us. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, maybe you can give first just a little bit of an overview, Tim, of sort of you know inspirationally, you know who you are. You know, did you want to be a jazz singer when you were a kid, and somehow you got thrown <laughs> into this crazy world of PR? You know, sort of who you are you know, and where you I, came I'd from. I'd love to be a jazz singer if I if I had a voice to sing with. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, that's uh, you know the. Musical talent uh, bypassed me completely. Um, I, I'm not sure, uh, you know, what I uh, dreamed of being when I was a kid. I, I remember, though, by around junior high school, I, I wanted to be a newspaper reporter, oh. and um, I was kind of focused on that. And uh, went off to college and got my degree in uh, in journalism, and uh, went off to my first job out of college, which was uh, pretty interesting. I was uh, in, in a lot of ways, it, I was editor of a weekly paper in a town in rural southeast Iowa, uh, and the town had a uh, claim to have a thousand people. Though I, I, I think some farm animals were probably <laughs> uh, included in that count. And um, so for for a year, I was uh, the editor uh, and photographer and staff writer and copy editor uh, at that newspaper, uh, and and had some uh, fascinating experiences as I uh, learned, you know, what life in a small town is like and the, the networking and, and history among the people who live there. And, um, you know, I was young and idealistic, uh, and I uh, ruffled some feathers. Really? Uh, uh, absolutely. No, uh, how's that? Absolutely. Uh, in fact, uh, uh, one of the things I did was there was a community theater production of The Wizard of Oz, I love that. And, um, and I wrote about it in, uh, and it was, a, as you can imagine, very amateurish. Right, um, right. I didn't review it or anything, but I wrote a column about it that was a little bit tongue-in-cheek and, uh, and uh, you know, talked about uh, 
the sort of irony, I think the uh, the Tin Man who didn't have a heart was played by a local lawyer, uh, and uh, so that that sort of seemed appropriate. <laughs> and uh, and they had the dog playing Toto who kept running, uh, jumping out of the basket and running off stage. So I wrote a little bit about it, and I, I got uh, what I'd almost describe as hate mail. Yeah, uh, people cool. very upset that I had had sort of uh, you know uh, rocked their world a little bit. Uh, right. So I, I came to understand the, the sensitivities, I think, of, of people who live in such a small, tightly knit community. Uh, there are unwritten rules, and one of them is that, uh, you know, you are respectful uh, to them. And, to members and in the community. In ways that you, in a larger city, you're not worried about. So, but so that was, it was a great job, and I worked for two other newspapers, including the, uh, the one that brought me to Las Vegas. I worked for the Las Vegas Sun. Okay, very familiar. And then um, jumped into PR. So how did you make that? I mean, that's that's a pretty broad jump. How did you make that jump? Uh, well, it's very funny. I answered a classified <laughs> in the paper. <laughs> really? Um, you know, they, they say you get jobs through networking, but sometimes you get jobs through luck. Uh, I went to work for a small uh, advertising PR agency uh, that handled some local clients, including a, a, a hotel casino, and uh, was there for uh, about six months before uh, there were a number of layoffs. Uh, but then I jumped to another agency and then finally uh, ended up at a, an agency called R&R Partners, which is the largest agency in Nevada, uh, and was there for four years. Fabulous. Fabulous. Yeah. You, you may, they, they are uh, best known for uh, doing the, uh, all of the commercials for the uh, Las Vegas Convention and Visitors Authority. Uh, they're now doing the only, only in Vegas, or what, what happens in Vegas, Vegas stays, stays in, in Vegas, Vegas campaign. Right, right, right. Uh, they, they, you know, it, it's a, I think, a, a brilliant campaign, and uh, so it was, it was fun working there. Uh, they were really good, smart people who uh, were were moving the, uh, especially the advertising side. They were moving it from uh, the old-fashioned sort of, uh, uh, you know, come see come see Wayne Newton uh, in concert at our hotel, uh, marketing to you know grandma and grandpa. Right, right, right. And really uh, working on, on changing the image of Las Vegas to one that, you know, was young, hip, and, and cutting edge. Cool. All right, so you were a part of that. How do you go, okay, because I think mm-hmm. this applies to so many industries across the board. How do you take something, once again, that's like heritage, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's completely formed, that people have a preconceived notion about what it is, and then re, you know, reshape it so that you can attract the kind of people that you want to attract? Mm-hmm. It's a good question, and I have to be honest that I, you know, I think one of the ways to do that is to have uh, hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars and build new hotel casinos, <laughs> which, is, which is what Las Vegas, uh, uh, which is what Las Vegas did. Um, uh, in fact, the uh, the Mirage Hotel, which opened in, uh, if not mistaken, 1989, uh, I remember uh, the you know naysayers uh, who said the. You know the property would uh, would never be able to to make enough money to to survive. Uh, that that uh, Steve Wynn was overly ambitious, and uh, you know as it turned out, of course, he was visionary. He, and, I, uh, I have so much respect for that man. Yeah, uh, but I, I think that I think that it's a, a slow uh, a slow process, and I think uh, what R and R did, and and the Las Vegas Convention and Visitors Authority did, is they uh, they made incremental changes. Uh, they, you know, they they moved uh, fairly slowly, uh, understanding where the the direction was, um, not necessarily understanding that that it would end up being uh, a hip place to go, okay. But 
understanding that they uh, had a a unique product that um, that had uh, a broad appeal and could have appeal for uh, younger people um, and families, as you remember. Right, which was uh, a horrible. They, this whole idea of going for families. And, right. and I think to some degree, Brandy, you and I talked about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the, the perception of it was, uh, was a little bit simplistic and a little bit wrong. I think the, the concept was uh, that we need to, uh, we, Las Vegas, needs to uh, broaden its appeal. Right. Meaning, instead of just going for the um, Hardcore you know, 55-year-old, right. uh, middle-aged, middle-income uh, couple from Southern California, we're going to send a message that says uh, there's something in Las Vegas for everyone. Well, it's kind of no like they wanted to make it, you know, like when I think of Las Vegas, I think of two things, either mm-hmm. an adult Disneyland mm-hmm. or Sin City. Right. Right? So at that point, I think they were trying to compete with like an adult Disneyland. And, and certainly, you know, there's a, a property there, the uh, the MGM, that opened up and had a theme park in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so clearly that, you know, but clearly clearly the MGM was going for more of a of a family audience. What I will say is that, you know, that, that Las Vegas uh, saw that, at least from a marketing point of view, they needed to be very clear about who their audience was and that it was an adult audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that happened... Uh, probably from a financial point of view, is MGM uh, essentially shut down the theme park. Uh, right. It, 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 wasn't, uh, it really wasn't working for them for a number of reasons, and uh, they kept a few of the attractions, but essentially turned it into uh, you know, conference and, and meeting space. Right, right, right. And, and uh, you know, what I, I see now uh, from, from R&R Las Vegas in general is that they have succeeded in, in changing the... Uh, the perception of the city, and they are now building on it. Uh, I, I was noticing a, a while back uh, uh, in, in some glossy magazine I was reading, there, were, uh, pull out, there was a pull-out uh, trading cards of celebrity chefs in Las Vegas. Okay. Um, which to me is just a, a brilliant idea. Right. Uh, I mean, because that has become uh, uh, one of the selling points of Las Vegas, that you can go there and have, uh, you know, incredible food prepared by some well, of the most famous chefs in the world. Well, I mean, Wolfgang Puck really started that trend. A- absolutely. And, uh, and then yeah, managed... He, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, it, was, it was big news when he opened there. Uh, I can tell you, I, I moved there in 88, and, um, you know, uh, you know uh, Denny's was, uh, was, was fancy food in Las Vegas. Uh, right. It was there was there was not a lot of uh, gourmet food, and today, um, you know, it is part of the you know part of what what's made Las Vegas a, a destination, uh, and and I think that their uh, marketing efforts really build on that. Oh, t- very true, very true, and I do. And this is such a sidebar, but I always get a kick out of you know how people can maximize themselves. I think it was Wolfgang Puck originally went into Caesars as Wolfgang right. Puck, or or maybe was or as Spagos. Mm-hmm. I think he went in there as Spagos, and he had an exclusive was Caesars as Spagos. And because he did so well at Caesars and wanted to extend his brand, from my information, what did he do? He found this little loophole. Great. I'm tied to them for Spagos. But I still have my own name. So I can go to the other, um, the other venues and start promoting myself as Wolfgang Puck. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing, you know. And these are the things, I mean, then that's public relations, how to get around things, how to continue to extend yourself and your brand while, con- you know, creating continuity. As right. well, because now when people think, no one ever thought of, um, you know, Spagos and Wolfgang Puck. They thought of Spagos. 
And then he went and branded himself as a person and attached himself to all these various entities. You know, yeah, there's I multiple it, it, venues he has, he has now. Yeah, I think it really uh, speaks to the value of branding, uh, how, how branding adds, uh, you know, adds value to, uh, to the company or to the individual that allows them to, uh, to expand. Uh, in, 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 in ways, you know, using that equity, using that brand equity. And clearly that's what, you know, the celebrity chefs and especially Wolfgang Puck have done. You know, you go to the, uh, you know, you go to the uh, freezer section at the supermarket and there, you know, there's Wolfgang Puck meals, frozen meals. Uh, you know, he has a line of soups, if I'm not mistaken. Right. Uh, and I, I think if you were to go back 10 or 15 years before chefs, celebrity chefs were branding themselves, uh, you know, people would, would scoff at the idea that you could ever uh, sell a line of soups uh, based on the, the brand or the, uh, the presence of, uh, of a chef. True. Very, very Unless true. Unless it was Chef Boyardee. Well, that's a whole <laughs> other story. So <laughs> right. let me ask you a question. Because, all right, since we're, like, we're, we're on this Las Vegas thing, we'll make Las Vegas our little case study, I guess, for the most mm-hmm. part. Um, I, I get that the Hilton had a ton of money. You know, the Hilton Las Vegas has a ton of money. And I get that, you know, this was done in conjunction with Paramount, who, again, has tons of money. But once again, this is Las Vegas, and you guys were um, launching the Star Trek experience. There's a lot of hot things that have gone on in Vegas for many, many years. How did you, what did you do to make this the most successful launch in history? Well, that's, that's a good question, and I, I would say part of the answer is we, uh, we did a lot of hard work. Um, we worked very closely with a, an agency uh, that we hired, uh, and, and basically the, the the PR efforts were overseen uh, by by me and by uh, a wonderful woman uh, named Susan Lomax, who uh, worked for Paramount uh, at the time. And she and I became, uh, you know, not only sort of uh, professional partners but also friends. And we worked very closely in coming up with the strategy and working with the agency we hired. Uh, they did a lot of the um, the footwork um, because that you know that's the uh, that's how how public relations is is successful. I mean, it really is about uh, you know creating and building relationships with the media. Ah, very and, true. And that's something we always we 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 beat into people on this show. Yeah, a- absolutely. I mean, I think you know there are certainly times when uh, you know you can uh, write up a release and send it out, and it shows up on. You know, today it shows up on Google News and Yahoo News, and and hopefully gets picked up. That's great. But if you uh, if you really are looking to, um, to to build your awareness in the media and the public eye, you need to be proactive and you need to be building those relationships. Very. And true. so that's something that that we that we really uh, worked very hard on, and and we were very lucky because we had a great brand. Star Trek is a great brand, and it. Uh, you know, it, we say it was pre-sold. So we, uh, you know, one of the things that, that we learned is uh, that you would we'd call up a newsroom and, and say, uh, you know, I'm calling about Star Trek The Experience, and we'd be talking to an editor, and the editor might not have any interest, but she might say, you know what, uh, you should talk to so-and-so. He's a reporter here, and he loves Star Trek. He's a, he's a, he's a Trekkie, he's a, a Star Trek geek. Right, right, right. So, you know, we were able to use the, uh, again, going back to brand, we were able to use that brand, leverage that brand in our coverage. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. You know, when we ended up talking to that Star Trek geek and saying, would you like to do an interview? Would you like to come out for the opening? Right, uh, want to take a spin on it yourself? Right, exactly. 
Right, and they, you know, they in turn, uh, you know, were helping, you know, extend our our PR reach because they were uh, selling it, you know, going to their editors and so on and saying, send me out to the opening of the Star Trek experience, you know, send me out for a preview of it, uh, and that was part of how we were able to uh, to get this broad coverage, not just. Uh, you know, we got major media like CNN and the New York Times, but we also had many, many other reporters from uh, smaller publications and, and outlets. So uh, what I'm hearing, what I'm hearing from you, it, a very strong point is, pitch the idea, and then if if the person who you're pitching doesn't, you know, they don't seem like they have the interest level, is try to dig a little deeper to see if that there's someone else within their structure that they can refer you to. And a lot of times, if you are initiating your conversations with an editor or a news director or someone at a higher level, it's an almost like an endorsement for them to do business with you. Hey, mm-hmm. Carol, the news director told me I should speak to you. I understand that, blah, blah, blah. Right. And that makes life a lot easier. I think that's an excellent point. Um, that's, that's exactly it. You know, and, and, and some of it, too, is uh, understand, you know, understand what your story is about. You know, be, be very clear on, uh, you know, on what your story or story ideas are and how they fit in with the media. Now, how uh, I tell you that, you know, in my uh, current job, you know, I, I work for a company called FriendFinder, um, and we operate online dating and social networking sites. And, uh, and I've, over the past week I've been pitching media here, uh, working to make sure that the, the story ideas, and I have a, a fairly long list of them, are appropriate for uh, the media that I'm calling. Ah, very important because I think the most insulting thing that you can do mm-hmm. <laughs> is call someone up and say, boy, if I get a story for you and you don't know who they are, you don't understand either, you, you know, you need to understand who the audience is mm-hmm. and who the writer is if you're, if you're contacting a writer or, you know, any, any kind of journalist so that you right. make sure that, you know, they're receptive to you and that it's being related the way that you need it to and that you enroll people in the message that you're trying to get across. Right, exactly, and uh, you know, and and I, you know, have have had some good response, and and have learned some lessons too. Uh, one of them was, you know, I called up and, and pitched Cosmo, and I was talking to a, a senior editor there. At where I didn't uh, hear that, which, which publication? I'm sorry. Where did you call? I apologize. Uh, Cosmo, Cosmopolitan. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. And uh, she said to me, "You know what? We don't do first-person stories." Because the story I was pitching was about uh, some of our members. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, as I went back and looked at the publication, I mean, I had already looked at it. And as you can imagine, I, d- I don't regularly read Cosmo. <laughs> um, <laughs> right, right, right. Um, you know, I, I, underst- I, I quickly understood that Cosmo speaks with the voice of Cosmo. Right. Uh, that as you look at that, at that magazine, uh, it is sort of, um, you know, Cosmo is, uh, you know, is sort of this, uh, you know, knowledgeable best friend maybe a little bit older than you uh who gives you advice and suggestions and shares her experience yeah and so, in a slightly raunchy sort of way right <laughs> absolutely you know in fact comparing it to some of the other uh you know, sort of women's publications mm-hmm. it clearly is the um raunchiest the uh, the most sex sex oriented mm-hmm. absolutely um, so you know, so I probably at some point uh, will go back to Cosmo now understanding that yes. and, and, and pitch them in a different way. Right. See, uh, you know, how like can we work with them in a way that allows them to, to use that Cosmo voice um, you know, while incorporating uh, the message that we're trying to communicate. 
Oh, 100%. I mean, it's something off the top of my head. You can quietly call self, mm-hmm. and they have um, little sections, beauty and um, personal and all sorts of stuff that give you little weird snippets about things where mm-hmm. you can probably do some cool messaging about, you know, the, the types of people that are meeting people online or the types of people that are, you know, um, about dating or whatever the messaging is that you want to get across. Mm-hmm. and it'll be very pertinent to their listening audience. And they put it together in, I mean, because that's, I enjoy reading that magazine. And I go directly to those little snippet pages. Right. Um, and they actually give credit to the sources. And, you know, Friend Finder has a lot of information that right. they, you know, that I'm sure that you've compiled that you can really put together. Because at the end of the day, what's everyone looking for? They're looking to find God, find a, a mate, and mm-hmm. a lot of money. <laughs> and in, a lot, in that and, order? Well, <laughs> you know, it, everyone's got different. I mean, would I? Would you agree, Meg? And maybe find I, I themselves. I would agree that, uh, yeah, people people have their have their objectives. You know, they have an agenda, <laughs> whether they state it or not. There's usually an agenda in life, right? Of some sort, and uh, you know, certainly um, whatever that message is needs to needs to appeal to that agenda. And it sounds like uh, the same thing whether you're trying to make a submission for a cosmopolitan or or any other. Uh, media entity out there, yeah. You want to make sure you address that audience and, and the agenda of that audience. Exactly. You know, it's that, that simple sort of, uh, you know, that, that, that marketing uh, uh, paradigm that says, uh, you know, we, we sell the uh, benefits and not the attributes, right? You sell the sizzle and not the steak. Right. So, you know, the question is, you know, uh, how does it, you know, what is it, what is in it that directly benefits the, uh, the end user? Well, I mean, if, are you speaking... <laughs> Well, this, this and is as you're saying, you know, people are looking for God, they're looking for relationships and so on. So I think the question, I think the, whenever you're marketing something, you have to understand those basic needs. And, for example, in the case of Cosmo, you know, what are, what are Cosmo readers looking for? And how can you uh, provide that for them uh, rather than, than pitching a sort of broad story that, uh, that doesn't speak directly to the needs of, of those readers. Well, and that's something, you know, Mick and I always, you know, we, 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 a lot of our guests on here really strongly um, emphasize this is going, in, you know, is making someone's life easier. So if you can pitch a story that actually works for someone, you just made their life easier. They don't, now they don't have to think of another story. They don't have to do a ton of research. You're just like, hey, here it is. I'm making your life easy. You're doing something for me. It's a win-win, and this is this benefits your readership, which is exactly what they're looking for. And speaking about benefiting, um, take care of our sponsors for a moment. Huh? Absolutely, we got some <laughs> great advertisers. Let's take a break, and we'll All be right. right back with Cover Story. Excellent. WebmasterRadio.fm. Welcome to the place your competitors get their edge. Jump on it. We're here for you 24/7. A rose by any other name would still be the same. Move over, Shakespeare. You need to differentiate yourself from your competition. Do it by aligning yourself with a company who has earned the trust of Jupiter Media, the NHL, and Lionsgate Films, among others. Moniker.com is the most secure ICANN-accredited register on the planet, offering you domain registration, hosting, domain sales, and acquisition services. Wrap that up with 24-7 support. That's your winning combination. M-O-N-I-K-E-R. More than a name. 
Attention webmasters, wish you could convert more web traffic into cash? No need to rub a lamp, just click on genienose.com. Install a co-branded search box on your site or incorporate paid listings XML into search results. And at your command, genienose.com pays cash for each result your users click on. Enjoy prompt payment and superior customer service. Earn even more through our co-branded referral program. Genie knows how to deliver results. G-E-N-I-E-K-N-O-W-S.com. Proud sponsor of the Webmaster World. Contrary to what your mother told you, you cannot be all things to all people. You can, however, focus on your primary business and ensure your success by outsourcing technical projects to a company who is forward-thinking, solutions-oriented, and works as a complete extension of your organization. No need to do it over and over again. SRK Consulting can develop integrated automation programs, programming in most major languages and operating systems. SRKConsulting.com, making sure your mother is all Always proud. WebmasterRadio.fm, the destination for education and entertainment. Commercials off. Now back to cover story. We're reserving a headline for you. Hey everyone, welcome back. This edition of Cover Story. I'm joined um, with myself, Brandy Shapiro Babin, and Mick Jolly from PR Web, and Tim Cheneau, who is a director of public relations over at FriendFinder Inc. Welcome back, everyone. Hey, thank you very much, Brandy. And uh, been sitting back. Obviously, I haven't been saying much. Just been trying to take in all that uh, Timothy's had to uh, share with us. And, and it sounds like he's had a pretty extensive background. A hey, question I do have for you, though, uh, Timothy. Obviously, you're, you know you're marking a, a service that, um, according to uh, some, they would call it invisible. I was reading a book not too long ago by a gentleman that's fairly well respected by the name of Beckwith regarding selling the invisible. And it's a kind of a business classic, but um, in in your case, you're you're going to some some pretty substantial firms throughout your uh, career and and selling your services. And I know this isn't about selling, but how do you relay the message? Because and, and this is a question I ask because I'm talking to people all the time about the value of the services that we provide. But it's not something that you can you can pick up, touch, hold. Um, it's not the new car that you can climb in and smell the leather interior. How do you market yourself? Is it just strictly by Tell them about your past performances, or what do you use to get your foot in the door as you're as you're uh, trying to sell your your PR campaigns, if you will. And to media. To, well, no, well, to media, to clients, uh, all the way around. I mean, just to, what, um, what's what's the secret to to getting noticed, in particular with with uh, clients? You've had some pretty substantial clients over the years. Uh, again, what's what's the uh, Well, here, let me ask it this way, if if we can. Because sure. I'm assuming, because I mean, this was of interest to me. You know, you take a, a a program, okay, like like let's say the Star Trek experience, or Webmaster Radio, <laughs> <laughs> or Webmaster Radio. <laughs> well, you know, there's different, you know, because you brought up Tim that you need to create different messages for different audiences. So I guess it's understanding, you know, how do you how do you carve out so that you have a unified front, but you also create. You know, you make sure that you're reaching out to your entire possible audience and get in that front door so that, you know, you get what you need from them, which is the media coverage. Right. Well, I think they're, uh, I think in, in talking sort of, uh, I think we're sort of talking about uh, two things about uh, speaking to, to media and speaking to potential clients. And, you know, uh, in terms of the potential clients, of course, some of that is communicating the, the value of public relations. Um, and, and that can be challenging because public relations is so much so 
also less easily quantifiable than most other marketing efforts. Um, you know, uh, working here at FriendFinder, uh, the company has been very successful, does a, a great job, in fact, operates the, uh, you know, we, we have uh, more than 20 million active members here. Um, but the part of the company's success is because they are uh, constantly looking at the numbers. Um, the difficulty with public relations is that uh, you can't tell, for example, how much traffic you're driving. Right. And um, so you, you have to believe to some degree in that intangible uh, benefit of, of the brand. Um, we, we talk about in, in public relations that uh, how the, the, the uh, value of the coverage you get is affected by the third-party endorsement. So when, when you're running an ad, for example, uh, people understand that that ad comes from you, the advertiser, you, the company. Mm-hmm. When you are featured in a newspaper article, on the radio, on TV, there is uh, a, a, a tacit endorsement from the, uh, the media. It adds extra credibility. Uh, people read it. You know, people say that they are... Um, they don't really believe everything they read in the paper and see on TV, but the truth is uh, that as they're, they're going through their day and, and uh, hearing and seeing the news, they do tend to uh, you know, give a high degree of credibility to that. So that's one of the things that, uh, that we, we communicate. I mean, in terms of, of talking to, uh, in, you know, in terms of talking to the, the media, um, it, you're talking about the... Uh, uh, when you say about the invisible product, are you talking about specifically something like uh, an online product? Well, as far as a uh, product I'm talking about, as far as the yeah, services that you provide, whether it be online or otherwise, I mean, really we're, we're talking about uh, your product is obviously your PR campaign so that you, you promote. Um, in my case, I'm obviously providing a, a press release service that uh, – you know, and, and I try and speak about past performances with other issue, other press releases and, and campaigns that others have c- conducted, whether it be uh, you know Verizon or some of the things we've done with Southwest or or whoever that I can that I can talk about where there's been some successes. Um, but you know, really, as far as putting together that package and, and trying to relay the the value, I mean, in in the case of so many um, businesses out there, at least I, I emphasize with the small. Uh, small business guy out there that, uh, as I as I um, look at this individual, he may have the greatest idea, but now he's got to go sell his idea. Now he's got to go share his idea. Or you're going to somebody that maybe doesn't have a good vision um, of where they're where they're going anyway. How do you package? Uh, you know, they have a, they have a great concept, but they don't know how to how should I say it to put that vision into words um, that others can uh, can uh, easily comprehend. So then all of a sudden. You've got to take this person as a as a client and, and help them to gain the publicity, gain the in the expert status or whatever it is that you, they're trying to achieve. And so, yeah, it's that, absolutely. I mean, that can could certainly that. be uh, be a challenge. You know, I, I, in working with some of the larger companies that that uh, that yeah, I've worked mega with, mega budgets, you know, that that helps. <laughs> right. uh, well, it's not only the budget, but it's also the appreciation of, of public relations. So, uh, for example, in uh, going to uh, work, uh, you know, working with uh, with uh, uh, Paramount uh, uh, with their theme park in, in Northern California, uh, I went in uh, as the, the PR director, and they they understood the value of public relations. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they had had public relations since the park opened. Uh, they 
couldn't imagine living without it. They understood the specific role that uh, PR took and the, the different areas of the different benefits to, to them. So that was a plus. But working with a company, someone who has not worked with PR before, um, you know, the, the first thing, you know, you're going in and you're talking about what is the message and how do we, you know, how do we package that message and, you know, where and how will we communicate it. Um, you know, that, that can be very challenging. Uh, when I worked at, uh, you know, at, at uh, R&R in Las Vegas, uh, we, we had a little, a little saying sometimes, and it was clients that don't get what they pay for, they get what they deserve. Uh, right. <laughs> meaning, meaning that we had some clients who uh, uh, were were simply not uh, working with us to uh, to achieve the the goals that we we shared with them. Right. Uh, so I, I remember having a, a client who uh, was was constantly using up uh, my time as an account executive, asking for various reports on things and and copies of clips and 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 asking questions and and taking. And, and as we would write a release, uh, spending you know uh, a week or so going over it with everyone you know at his company, uh, you know they they simply they didn't get the maximum benefit uh, because they, uh, well, they time, were you not only have willing time, to, right. to listen to what we were saying about the value of public relations. Right, and that's hard too. I mean, I think that there's and we discuss this too. I think that there's different mindsets. Some people say they want to grow their companies, and they th- and they they believe that to an extent because they think it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Except they really don't. So sometimes you have to, you know, fight against current and understand, like, really what people's objectives truly are in a business setting. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that um, the neat thing, my goodness, and we're running out of time. I think we've like barely scratched the surface here. So and we didn't talk about Siegfried and Roy yet. No, <laughs> and that's <laughs> no, and I th- that is so cool because um, on on a on a different radio show in a far far away land. Um, we sort of had a, a prank with Siegfried and Roy. <laughs> so, oh. yeah, talk about a little public relations um, from this end. But anyway, um, <laughs> that might be a different a different show for a different time. We might have to do a part two with you, Tim. <laughs> oh, I'd be happy to do that. <laughs> um, but I think I, I think what we've really learned from this is to really understand who your audience is, is to have a unified approach to your public relations efforts, but to tweak your messaging depending upon who your audience truly is. Um, and your audience is two people. One is your end user, and the other one is the people that you're trying to pitch to get the message out to the end user. And if you're working in a small-town newspaper, don't disturb the locals. Yeah. <laughs> don't be overly creative. <laughs> don't write about anyone's dog is the, is the message, too. Yeah. So I, I, I agree with you completely, and I, I think that... Uh, uh, that unified message uh, from any company is is so important. I um, and simply having a message. Uh, I've worked with a media trainer who, uh, as she starts media training people so they can speak uh, uh, to the media on camera and so on, plays a, a tape uh, from the old Bob Newhart show, okay. where Bob goes on a, uh, a TV talk show and uh, is uh, uh, dumbfounded, has nothing to say because he has no message to communicate. Uh, he doesn't really know why he's there. Right. And, uh, <laughs> and it, it's very, very funny, and it makes it very clear that you need to understand what your message is. Uh, you need to have a clear message that everyone in the company uh, agrees on and then package that message so that you're able to uh, get uh, to the media and then get to the end user. Perfect. I think that's, 
I think that's phenomenal. Very clearly said, Tim. Yeah, that's terrific. And I, I think, I think we need to have you back. We, we are going to have you back. I'm going to pigeonhole you now. Yeah, because we definitely need to get into the Siegfried and Roy thing. And I think <laughs> that there's so much more. Well, it sounds like Tim's worked with so many neat projects. I think we could have a show on each one of his uh, projects and how he conducted them. I, I, you know, we we touched on a lot of them, but I think the the Titanic. I think we could probably dig into the 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 roots of what actually took place with regards to the Star Trek promotion and, and a number of others with a lot more depth. So, right. and I, you know, we also you mentioned. Uh, I know crisis communication, and I've had a a chance to do a couple of things, including two uh, deaths at the theme park that I worked right. at. Right, right. Uh, so that was was uh, fascinating, and and uh, one of those deaths was a twelve year old disabled boy. And as you can imagine, that was a, a major story uh, in the San Francisco market. I'm sure. Which is amazing. So you know what we're going to do? When I get, uh, when we get off the air, you you stay uh, you stay tuned in, Tim, and mm-hmm. we will go ahead and book you. Maybe we'll do a, a part one this week. We'll do a part two next week, um, and we'll get in because I think the interesting thing too is really to look at, um, like, because you have very specific projects that you worked on, and if we can use those sort of as case studies for people. I mean, obviously these are on a huge scale. But people can reverse engineer it and use it for some of the projects that they're working on, albeit big or small. I think that right. would be a learn, g- learn the best practices from Tim. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, these are cool case studies. Um, I do want to let everyone know we need to wrap up cover story right now. It's, it's very sad to come to another end because this has been fantastic. But I want everyone to stay tuned because we've got great programming going on. And this evening, we have a very special uh, radio show. It's the Jeannie Knows Town Hall Meeting. So for everyone out there who's doing business with Jeannie Knows or anyone out there that wants to do business with Jeannie Knows, uh, we have the CEO, Barbara Manning, and um, director of everything at Jeannie Knows, uh, Mark Harper, coming on. And they're going to be talking to you all about what's happening at Jeannie Knows, um, all the coolest, newest features, making sure everyone's aware of what's happening. And then they're going to open it up to Q&A. So it's all about you, for you, and that's at 6 p.m. this evening, Eastern Standard Time. So you guys... Have a great rest of your afternoon, and uh, thanks again for a wonderful edition of Cover Story. We'll see you next Wednesday.